This podcast was created by Anchor, an awesome app which allows anybody to easily record and create podcasts anywhere, anytime. A special thank you to them for assisting me in getting started. Episode 1, A Holiday in Time. It was a cold, crisp evening. Long, dark, evergreen trees stretched as far as the eye could see. Nothing but trees, except for a diminutive, secluded village in the deep main woods could be seen for thousands of miles. The wooden town crisscrossed with cobblestone paths, with pedestrians carefully dodging the horse and carts. One such villager, Martha Keene, an outspoken older woman of 48 years, hitched up her skirts as she made her way down the muddy road. Full, pursed lips protruded beneath bushy black eyebrows and piercing blue eyes. Inside the floating cloak, she was tall, thin, and bony, and her hair was tangled beneath the red cap. Her face was crumpled and wrinkled, and ugliest without silliness. Her hair, in a tight bun, was beginning to come undone as she briskly walked down the gravel road. The sun was beginning to hide behind the trees, and she could feel the chill of the cold. But she didn't mind as she had more important things to think about. She quickened her pace, as she shouldn't be late. Her hands grasped a silver pocket watch tied around her waist. It was hefty. The watch's face the size of her open palm. She could hear it, the slow tick, tick, tick of it. She didn't need to be reminded. She kept walking, her boots crunching the fallen leaves and skirt getting caught in the thicket. She heard hurried footsteps behind her, and as she turned, she was greeted by a stout, fair-haired woman with a small illuminated lantern and a woven basket of blueberries in hand. Her long, dirty blonde hair fell in loose waves past her shoulders with a few peekaboo strands. She as well wore a cloak and a pair of muddy boots. She had a delicate, aquiline nose, but a stubborn mouth and chin. Her hands were stained a dark navy blue. Susan Becker was a nervous young woman, who tended to fidget when she was spoken to or under pressure. Even her clothes seemed to be on edge. They shifted and slid and dropped and were never still. She was several years younger than Martha, enjoyed the time they had together. She turned to Susan and smiled. Susan, you startled me. Are you here to get ready as well? Susan grinned bashfully. Her yellow teeth caught the lantern's light in the dark woods as she opened her mouth to speak. Her voice suggested worry, as an alto saxophone might suggest jazz. Happy holidays, she replied. I thought I would walk with you if that's fine. Martha looked around the forest. Happy holidays as well, my friend. Certainly. Let us get ready together. We shouldn't be late. Yes, we have plenty to do. This kind of thing only happens once a year, you know. Susan looked down and fidgeted with her basket. This year's harvest has been bountiful, yes. We will have a fine supper. I never expected this much crops. And they grew in such a small amount of time, too. Her hands fell into her lap, and she unconsciously played with the pocket watch on her waist. She opened her mouth to say more, but fell silent. She smoothed her hair with shaking fingers. Yes, the crops are abundant, thanks to last year's holidays, said Martha. Yes, once a year. These years seem to go by so fast. 
can just remember my first holiday. Time seems to be slipping, when holidays bring us such a sense of involvement, of duty. They continue to walk down the road, now leading into a twisted path into the dark woods. They were quiet, listening to the branches creaking in the wind, listening to the squirrels chattering, and of course, listening to the pocket watches. Tick, tick, tick. They turned down the slope of the hill to the house below. It was a white wooden house, adorned with the window panes, and of course, a large clock outside. A crumbling stone fence lined the house. Large orange pumpkins and green gourds littered the yard. Jack-o'-lanterns with painted and carved faces lined the edge of the tall trees. In the windows, the reflection of several tall candles could be seen, their flames flickering. They walked up the uneven steps through the large black door. They walked up the dusty stairs, the walls lined with tight bundles of sage. The house was small, and furnishings were cheap, black painted. Polished wood floors and a graceful banister that curved up towards a second floor gallery. Martha tried not to dwell on how her joints creaked with the steps, her wrinkled face practically wincing with every step. They reached the top of the stairs, and Martha led Susan into a quaint room, lined with peeling yellow wallpaper. Candles lined the one window, the wax dripping under the glass. There was a circular wooden desk, crowded with miscellaneous objects, a silver hairbrush, a filled flask, several piles of various herbs, and a glistening knife. There was a small black closet with intricate carvings embedded in the doors and handle. A dead houseplant sat limp in the corner, below the clock, in the center of the room. It ticked on, and Martha and Susan's eyes met. Susan picked up the hairbrush and began roughly combing through her locks as she spoke. Her eyes sparkled. I can remember the excitement. In fact, I can remember getting my first holiday robes. It felt so good to finally be a true part of the village, the community. You know, you have these holidays as a child, and you grow with them. These things happen so quickly as well, and I always feel I am running out of time. She looked at her pocket watch, and watched as it quickly turned from 6 o'clock to 6.01. Martha nodded her head in agreement as she opened the closet to reveal rows of long black robes with stark white bonnets. It's a shame that Harriet will not be able to attend or watch the holiday. Not like we see it, anyway. I can't imagine the pride and honor one must feel to be chosen. She furiously brushed off any unwelcome dust on the dark fabric. She went on. Everyone is lucky to attend, of course, before they're chosen. It's only fair to do that for the gods, for the good of our community, is amazing. She pulled her silver pocket watch out of her pocket and hooked it around her neck. She paused for a moment, though, to intently study the time. Tick, tick, tick. Susan pulled on her boots. What better way to please our ancestors and strengthen community involvement, my father used to say as well. There is no power for change greater than a community discovering what it cares about. She put noticeable emphasis on the word community. They laughed in a comfortable silence. The ticking of their watches the only sound as they got dressed. They reminisced and thought about the holiday costumes. A loud sound split the silence, and they looked outside the window to see a small metal jet disappearing into the clouds. Susan scowled as she frowned as she spoke. I haven't seen one of those in ages. It's another one of those so-called flying machines. Heaven knows where they come from. So noisy. One can help but prefer the safety and quietness of a horse. Martha agreed. John, 
Harriet's husband always despised them. He knew the rules and ideas of our community. He's lucky to be chosen. They picked him and Harriet for a reason, you know. She beamed and opened the door as they left the room. The house began to disappear in the dark as the dim lantern's glow walked further with the two women. They bent down to gather various sized twigs, dry grass, and pine cones. Martha remembered that pine cones were excellent for kindling. They hurried on, past the Times Square, past the village's big clock, past the pumpkins, past the lanterns. They could smell the damp, wet smells in the forest, the pungent scent of ash and smoke in the air. The night was again silent, only the sound of distant fire, an owl in the woods, and of course, the loud ticking of the pocket watches could be heard. Tick, tick, tick. They continued through the thick wood and came into a clearing as the wood seemed to part by their feet. The forest parted into a circular, dense clearing. Everyone was there, the whole village, as they should be. They surrounded a large pile of wood, an unlit burn pile, dead sticks protruding from every direction. The villagers lined up in a circle, hands clasped together, pocket watches gleaming on their neck. Martha and Susan joined the crowd and added to the chanting as whispers of happy holiday went around. They added to the chanting, their eyes went to the chief and leader of the village as they stared. Sterling Crawford was a thick, beefy man, the kind who carried weight like a weapon, not a liability. He had fierce, dark eyes and a face to be dominated by. His hands gripped his pocket watch. For a long time, he said nothing. He kept as still a stone. His eyes closed as he listened intently to the chanting. When John and Harriet were carried into the circle and tied to the pile, his eyes opened. At last he began to speak, and it sounded almost though he were singing, sadly, in a dream. The pyre was lighted, and the chosen began to scream, long, shrill screams, as the flames licked up their bodies. The smell of burning flesh filled the air. The chanting grew louder and louder, until the screams were not heard. They sang until they became hoarse. Until... One could not hear the roar of the fire. As the chanting hit a crescendo, the villagers all turned to gaze at their pocket watches, and the hands of the clock slowly began to reverse. As the hands moved counterclockwise, back through time. Tick, tick, tick. The watches sounded in synchrony. Smoke billowed into the air, a long gray line. Long, dark, evergreen trees stretched as far as the eye could see. Nothing but trees except for a diminutive, secluded village in the deep Maine woods could be seen for thousands of miles. Tick, tick, tick. The villagers reminded that time goes far too quickly, that it marched on with consequences. I know it's always there, to remind us that our lives are short, the seconds going by. Thank you for listening.